Well, good morning, friends. Uh, I am sure that that you have probably tuned in and that you have seen it all over the news the last um, couple of weeks. It's kind of captivated uh, the news headlines for the last, I don't know, 10 days or so. Um, the story of Amber Geiger. Um, if you're not familiar with her, uh, she's a police officer up in Dallas and she was getting off a late shift of working 13 hours, and instead of coming to her floor on her apartment, she went to the floor above her by mistake. And as she went to what she thought was her door, it was cracked open, and so she proceeded to go into what she thought was her apartment, and there was the resident there, and it scared her and startled her, and she pulled out her gun and shot this man and killed him. And so as you can imagine, there's lots of different opinions going on about what should happen to her. Um, uh, there's very polarizing topic, if you will. But there's something that's really captivated the hearts of, I think, of a lot of us, if you've missed it, is uh, when she was in court and when the man who was murdered's younger brother got up to testify at the hearing. And I want to let you watch his response, and you can make up your mind about the case, but I want you to, to watch this, younger bro this man's younger brother respond um, to Amber Geiger. Let's go ahead and watch this video. My family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? pretty powerful. Um, forgiveness is a very dangerous thing. It's releasing somebody and they get to use their freedom for whatever they want. And it can be a really dangerous thing. For the past six weeks, we have been going through the book of Romans and we've come to this crossroads, this pinnacle that we find in Romans chapter six. And it, it, it really centers on that question of what do you do with your freedom? 
because free people can be a really dangerous, dangerous thing. And so for the past six weeks, we've been building up to this moment where Paul has talked about what a life before Jesus was like, and it was just, it's pretty miserable. And then in chapter four, we begin to make the turn and we begin to talk about this idea of, of justification, of that not only have you been forgiven, but the stain has been completely removed. And so now when Christ looks at you, he sees Jesus inside of you. That is no longer you who live, but that Christ lives inside of you. But the question that that faces us is now that you are totally free, what do you do with your freedom? And it's been building to this point and we've come to this crossroads in the book of Romans in chapter six. Pop, cha- uh, excuse me, Paul ends in chapter five by saying this. The law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase or the law was to show the holiness of God. But wherever it sin increased, grace increased even more. And so wherever there is sin because of the law that highlighted the holiness of God, more grace abound. Verse 21 of chapter five says this. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness of the eternal God. And so here is the problem that we're faced with. Wherever there is sin, there is more grace. And that is really good news. That means you cannot out-sin the cross. There is more grace. Wherever you find sin, there's more grace to cover that right up. Whatever you've done, whoever you've done it to, whatever you've left undone, God's grace can surely cover that too. There's more grace. Wherever there is sin, there's more grace that gets poured out. And so the question is, if there's more grace that is poured out for us, what do you do with that? If grace is such a good thing, can't we just keep living the way that we've been living? Can't we just keep on sinning? Because we know wherever there's sin produces more grace. And if more grace is good, what are we supposed to do with our freedom? And that's the question that Paul is going to get us to lean into this, more, this morning, is this central question that you saw in the video. What are you going to do with your freedom? What are you going to do with your forgiveness? Are you going to return to your own life, old life? Or are you going to move forward? And so if you're visiting with us this morning, we say the Shema on Sunday morning. Shema simply means to hear or to listen. It's a prayer that's found in the book of Deuteronomy as well in the Newer Testament. When the the Jesus' disciples or some followers of Christ asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, he quotes part of the Shema. We have a family tradition around here to quote the Shema because we think it's powerful to have Jesus's words in our lips. And then we say the first couple lines in Hebrew because that's the language that he would have known it in as well. And we think that's powerful. We do this as a way to prepare our hearts to receive God's words. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand and we'll say the Shema this morning as we dive into this central question this morning. What are you going to do with the freedom that Christ has given you? So let's say the Shema together. And so God, as we wrestle with your word, God, may it take root inside of us. God, 
May we be transformed by the power of your living word this morning. God, I have nothing good to say. I have nothing good to say apart from you. And so may your heart be in my mouth this morning. It's in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, that is in the Newer Testament, uh, you're going to find the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are in the back third of your Bible. Then you find Acts, and then you'll find the book of Romans. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 6. And so let's go to the first slide. It'll also be up here. It says, what shall we say then? This is that question that we've been thinking about. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Heck yeah, we should, right? That's the question that he's talking about. Should we just keep sinning because we know grace is so good? Should we just keep living the way that we've been living, right? Question, does God love sinners? Hey, does God love sinners? Yes, come on. Romans 5 already tells us this. Romans 5 tells us while we were yet sinners, God came and he gave his life for us. So does, if God loves sinners, can I just keep on sinning because I'm loved by God? That's the question that we're gonna be, make, that we're gonna be heading into this morning. And it's this question of, well, if sin produces grace, and grace is so valuable, let me just keep on sinning so that I can have more and more and more of God. Now, here's the truth. We laugh, and it's kind of a ridiculous question, isn't it? Like, we should just keep sinning so that grace can cover it? Are you kidding me? It's ridiculous. Until you're all alone. Until you've got a real hard choice to make and nobody would ever find out. You can click on that web page. You can, you can just leave out that part of the story to your family. You can go out with them and you know where this is gonna head. Because obviously, I mean, there's grace there's forgiveness. Of course, God is going to forgive that. Uh, absolutely. And suddenly, it's not such a ridiculous question, is it? Grace and forgiveness is a very scary, dangerous thing. Oftentimes, what we do is we, we're, we have this 90% or whatever percent of your life that, that you've, that you've uh, tucked up under the cross or being submitted to Christ and there's this 10% of our life that is just, I don't know what to do with that. It's this area where it's, I'm still good. The grace of God still covers that. Like, it's okay. I'm loved just as I am. And Paul wants us to ask this question. What are you gonna do about those edges of your life where you've just stopped fighting? Where you've made compromise, where you've backed off of what God has called you to do. What are you going to do about that? Are you just going to keep on sinning and again and again and again so that more of God's grace will increase in your life? Look at verse two. Let's read it together. Or I'll read it to you. Verse two through four, it says this. Here's the answer. By no means. Let's be real clear this morning. 
by no means. We should not just keep living the way that we have been living. And for the next couple of uh, verses, Paul is gonna give his reasoning and they're gonna sound a little redundant and they're gonna sound like he's stepping over himself, but he's driving home this point. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order, just as Christ was was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. And so as a follower of Christ, can I keep watching that? Can I keep reading that? Can I keep going there? Can I keep being around those people even though I'm not influencing them, they're influencing me? Can I keep just go on living the way that I've been living? And Paul says, by no means. You are dead. You have died to sin. And then he takes this picture of of what baptism is and he uses this analogy as don't you know that you have been baptized with Christ? And that's why around here in the community, we make such a big deal about baptism and we have a baptism bash and we do it on the most important day of the year of Resurrection Sunday, of Easter Sunday, because it's this picture that when you say yes, when there's a declaration that you have given your heart to Jesus, you go under the water. You share in the symbolic death of Christ. And when you are raised up, you are not raised up to the old John. You are raised up, as the scripture tells us, to a new life. There is a new man in standing in front of you. I'm not the same person anymore. And so how dare I go back to the old dead life? By no means. Why are you carrying around this old life and trying to drag it with you when you have died to that? And the question goes, when that happens, it's like, where's all the love and the joy of the Christian life? Why aren't I not delighting in the love of the Lord? Why is peace not ruling and reigning in my heart? And I wonder, it's because we've reached back and we're carrying this dead man around, this dead, rotted carcass, and we're like, where's the joy? Where's the joy? Where's the love? Where's the peace? And it's because we've reached back and we've carried something that has been dead and buried at the cross. And you have been raised to new Life. Part of being baptism is a turning of our back on our old life. Listen, Christy's not in here this morning, and so I'm going to talk about her. <laughs> now, listen, I never, you will never hear me talk uh, bad about my wife, but she ain't here this morning, and so I'm going to tell you just the ridiculous demands that this woman has put on my life. We've been married 16 years, uh, 17 years uh, in April, and she has just unbelievable demands on my life. Can you believe it? She insisted that I stopped dating other women. Shocker. I mean, can you believe the goal of her? I mean, it is really shocking. When we walked down the aisle, she said, I'm the only woman for you. And I said, I know, that's why I'm marrying you today. And she goes, no, 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 no. Not just today, John, but for the rest of your life. And I'm like, 
well, that sounds kind of demanding if you ask me, Christy. I mean, I think I was 25 when I got married. And to think that means I'm going to live till God willing, till I'm 80. That's 55. Is that right? 55 years. And you're telling me I have to be faithful to you 365 days a year for the next 55 years. That's a long time. And you know what she expected? For me to be faithful for the rest of my days till I'm married. It was till death do us part, right? It's, it's incredibly unreasonable of this woman that, to expect that I would be faithful to her. So we had this conversation that was like, well, babe, here's the deal. How about 98% of the time? How about like just two days a year, this dog is off his leash and he can do whatever he wants to do, right? Now, here, here's, here's the shift. It's a crazy, ridiculous thought, isn't it? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And yet, when we have this understanding of it between me and another person, it makes total sense to us. Of course, of course. Of course, Christy gets all of you all the days of your life because you are standing before God and you're making this covenant together so it only makes sense that she gets all of you, that she gets all of your faithfulness. Now, watch the turn. Do you feel like when we make the shift to God, there's somehow an exemption from that? Like, is it ridiculous for us to think, well, how, how can God really expect me to be faithful to him 365 every single day until death do us part? Are you kidding me? That seems a little unreasonable, don't you think, God? And yet when it's my relationship with my wife, it makes total sense. All of us would say, of course she gets all of your faithfulness. That's what it means to be married to somebody. But when it comes to Christ, it's somehow he's being uh, too demanding, too much, asking too much of us. And so this is what Paul is telling us that when we said yes to Christ, Christ said yes to us and we became forever his. And now we're reaching back and we're, we're, be, we're being unfaithful and we're pulling up this old dead life and we're trying to go back and drag it around by no means. This was till death do us part for Christ. That he asked for 100% faithfulness. 100%. This is why, can we be honest, that so many of us are so frustrated and we get so tired and we don't experience the life and we don't experience the fullness that Christ has to offer us because it's one in and one out. And it's, we're faithful sometimes. And Christ is inviting us to this marriage to say, no, when you said yes to me, it was in response to my yes to you. And now we are forever one. And I'm gonna be 100% faithful to you all the days of our lives. This is what it means to be married together. Let's keep going. Look at verse five says this. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be completely done away with, that we are no longer slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And so if you're taking notes, I hope you are, please underline, highlight, circle this where it says you have been united with him in his death, circle united and circle united with him in his resurrection. And in the margins of your Bible, write John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is the story of the last supper of Jesus and his disciples. And he's in this upper room and he's not so much talking to them about why he has to die, but he's more interested in, let me tell you about the resurrection. And so he's got this agenda on his, on his mind and he keeps telling his disciples over and over and over again, listen, y'all, it's better that if I go away, it is better if this happens. And the disciples are saying, no, Lord, please don't do this. We like you right here and now with us. And, and Jesus keeps saying, no, it's better if I go. Because listen, if I'm here with you, there's even something better. I'm not just gonna be with you. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit who will be inside of you. And the disciples are like, no, Lord, we don't wanna do it. We've been with you for like three years. We've seen the miracle. We've seen the show. We've seen the big things. And now you wanna leave? And Jesus said, it's better if I go. Because up front, Jesus tells his disciples, listen, what ever makes you think you could live the Christian life before the cross? It's no different after the cross either. You cannot live this Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit residing inside of you. This is what separates the life of a follower of Christ from every other world religion out there is up front, this God, this God lets, you know, lets you know the terms. And he says, you can not do it. You don't have enough grit in you. You can't muster up enough strength to do it on your own. And so I'm going to come and do it in you and through you. I'm going to do what you never dreamed was possible inside of us. And then he goes on in John chapter 15 and he tells the story. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. You cannot live this Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit taking up residency inside of you. And Jesus' master plan for his disciples, do you know what his master plan for you is? He says it 11 times in seven verses. Just stay put. Remain. Stay connected. Just stop. Just remain connected. And he tells this story of this imagery of this vine where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches, so just stay connected to the vine. Just stay connected. That is my hope, longing for you. That's how the world is gonna get turned right side up, is for you just to stay connected to the vine. And Paul picks that up right here in the verses and says, you have been united with him in his death and you have been united with him in his resurrection. So don't go back and pick up that old dead life and and John, every time you reach back and you, you hold on to unforgiveness, every time you reach back 
and you have those self-defeating thoughts in your mind that you're not good enough, that that cannot be forgiven, that you're never gonna measure up, you're reaching back. You're reaching back. Every time I choose not to forgive, every time I treat Christy the way I think she ought to be treated because she's so demanding, all I'm doing is reaching back to something that's dead. And Christ is, and Paul is arguing, why are you focused on the old and dead things? There, you have been crucified with Christ, so now when you are resurrected, the old is gone and the new is here. And no wonder for so many of us, the Christian life feels dead and it's because we're dragging around this dead carcass. Verse eight says this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives for God. In the same way, here it is again, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. So Jesus destroyed death on the cross. I was at a funeral yesterday, and it's, uh, for somebody in our community's dad. And it's, there's just a different mourning. There is a different grieving when somebody knows the love of Jesus Christ. There is also this celebration that is a part of this broken heart that death never gets the final word. And that's what Christ accomplished on the cross. And it says, sin has been destroyed at the cross. That has been forever dealt with, forever paid for. And so this is not, Paul is not arguing whether you are perfect or not, but he's, he's saying, listen, are there areas of your life that you've just given up? Are there areas of your life right now where you've made it just okay to not be okay? There's an ongoing habitual habit, a thought, a sin habit that is just taking over your life. And listen, I know that I'm gonna struggle with a lot of things for, the, for all the days of my life. But you know when it gets really dangerous? Is when you stop struggling. Is when you stop wrestling. When you stop fighting. When you stop and you just say, I give up. And it somehow just attaches to you. And it becomes part of who you are. And it's this area of compromise. It's this old dead you that has just got somehow attached to you and you're still carrying it around. Uh, my oldest, Ryan, is 10. She loves Disney World. Imagine that we, that um, I take Ryan to Disney World. We've been saving for like years and we get to Disney World and she is just bouncing up and down. Dad, I'm so excited. I can't wait to go in. So we stroll up through like the shenanigans, like the tram, the boat, the tram, the people, blah, 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 all that stuff to get to the entrance. She is beyond excited. We're like the first ones in line. We paid the price. The gate opens. Click. Ryan steps through and she sits down. She never experiences anything that the kingdom has to offer. Sure, she might see like the tram go by. Sure, she might see like the parade at night and 
She'll see the fireworks like way off in the distance. But she's sitting right inside those gates. How pathetic would that day be? That's a sad, miserable day if you go to Disney World and you get click and you go in and you just sit down right there. It's pathetic. Imagine even more pathetic would be as if Walt Disney himself came to Ryan. All right, girl, you and me are going to go through Disneyland together. I created all this place. It was my idea. Let's go. Nah, no thanks. I like it right here. I wonder if that's a picture of our Christian journey oftentimes. It's a bad, probably a bad example, but it's this idea that Jesus has died, he's paid for everything, and he's raised you to this new life, and he offers not just life, but life abundantly. And we step through, and we hear the click, and we just sit down. And we don't enjoy, like, like everything that this Bible has to offer, what's written on the pages of it. We just sit down and we feel shallow, we feel insecure still day after day, year after year. And Paul says this morning, to make things even worse, now you're sitting at the gate and you're reaching over the gate and you're trying to drag this dead you with you through the, through the park. Are you kidding me? Why would you ever dream about doing that? You are a new citizen in a new kingdom and this kingdom is meant to be enjoyed. He's not come just to give you life. But the scripture, John 10, says it's a life and life to the fullest. By no means. You have died to sin. Here's the truth. Whenever I read the scripture, there are lots and lots of things that, that I really don't like. There are lots of things that it's even funny to say it out loud particularly as the pastor, there's lots of things that I disagree with in here. Um, when you're weak, you're strong. <laughs> I don't like that one. Love your enemies. Are you kidding me? No, that's hard. What you saw in the video, forgive those who've hurt you. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> my stuff is not my stuff. It's, you're telling me it's yours? Yeah, I, I don't like that one either. But faith puts me in a position where I'm not the boss anymore. And it really doesn't matter whether I disagree with it or not. All he asked for is, we've been married. And now we're forever one. We are forever one. And who gets to be Lord of your life? Because John, you know, you know, the, you know the truth uh, that when you have your life in your hands, it's a pretty big mess. You're gonna make a big mess of it. And so I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna be the Lord of your life and I'm gonna show you what real abundant life looks like. And so what do I do? I just remain. I stay connected to the vine. That is my privilege as a follower of Jesus. And so Paul goes on and continues to preach not just a crucified cross, but a resurrected Jesus for a resurrected you. Look at verse 11 as we bring it home. It says this. In the same way, he says it again, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. Here's the key word, as an instrument of wickedness. But rather offer yourselves to God to, as to excuse me, offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an, here it is again, instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And so you, there's this temptation to think that you've only been forgiven from sin. And that's half of the equation. You've not just been, given, been forgiven from something, you've been forgiven for something. And that for something is you've been forgiven for Jesus Christ. It is no longer about me and my desires, but I've been set free so that I can run in his direction. And Paul says, you are an instrument of his. Now, I don't know if you growing up playing any instruments. I never, from birth through this day, my parents never you know, put me in any music stuff or anything ever. And so the idea of playing any instrument's super foreign to me. Uh, and I'm like, what good do sports do me now, right? Nothing. I mean, I would rather have learned the guitar, something more practical I could still be doing. But it says you're an instrument. And what does an instrument do? Well, whoever holds the instrument gets to play the right tune. That's what Christ says about you. You are an instrument in somebody's hand. If you let your instrument be in the hands of your old dead life, you're going to play the tune of an old dead life. But an instrument in the hands of Christ is going to play a new song. If you are an instrument... It's like a glove and whose hand is gonna go inside of your glove? Because it says you're just an instrument. You're just the vessel. You're not, you're not the show. You're an instrument. You're an instrument to your old life or you're an instrument for Christ. So maybe some homework for us for this week is whose hands are you in? Who gets to call the shots in your life? Whose desires get, get to be met in your life? Because if you're reaching back and trying to pull this dead carcass around, let me just tell you guys, it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. That last 2%, that last 3%, 10%, 50 whatever it is, it's going to kill your faith journey. You're never created to reach back over the wall and pull this smelly, nasty, dead carcass around with you anymore. You have been freed from it. You've been resurrected, brought to new, new life. There's a picture, um, there's a quote from a, a man named Charles Spurgeon that says this, go to this. There must be a divorce between you and sin or there can be no marriage between you and Christ. Whew, holy smokes. That's a, it's pretty strong, isn't it? And what he's saying is if the grace of God has not come in and transformed your life and has given you freedom, has not now, as we talked about, given you this favored status with God, if that doesn't change your life, if you have not experienced that, 
then do you really have lordship? And if you don't have lordship, do you have Lord? There's no Lord. And if there's no Lord, then you know what the danger is? Is that we just have some nicely packaged, safe set of beliefs. And the scripture says, like, even the demons believe. We're not talking about just a general belief in God. We're talking about in this transformational grace that just wrecks you from the inside out that nothing in the old life tastes so good anymore. Here's the picture. I was thinking about it this week. I'm just gonna ask for forgiveness on the front end, okay? So here's kind of some of the picture, um, what it might look like. So if, uh, if your life... It says you're just an instrument, a vessel, right? This is you. This is what your life looks like. This is how you were uh, originally created. Uh, It's what we find in the garden. Before sin entered the world, you were pure, holy, and blameless. Then we see that sin entered the world, right? And it gets really dirty really, really quickly, doesn't it? This was Romans chapter um, one, two, and three. This is where apart from Jesus Christ, like my life ain't so pretty. It's pretty gross and it's, it's not going real well. And left to myself, I'm gonna make a mess of my life and it's gonna be mucky and dirty and, and pretty, pretty gross. And then we get to Romans chapter four. And there's a shift that begins to happen. It says that God steps in and the Holy Spirit comes alive in you. And there's this transformation that begins to happen slowly over time. And all of that junk that was inside of you, what happens? Gets transformed, doesn't it? It's that old life that has been dead and buried. And then we get to Romans chapter five and we get to Romans chapter six and something beautiful happens. Now that this vessel is is ready to receive, there's a gift that gets given to us. And And he deposits something beautiful inside of you, right? It, it's fake. It gets deposited inside of you, right? And so now when people look at you, what do they see? They don't see you. What do they see inside of you? Something pretty remarkable. I was at the gym this last week and uh, I bumped into a guy I went to high school with. John, what are you doing these days? So oh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Other kids in here. <laughs> he said, no blank. And I said, no, I'm serious, man. I'm a, I'm a pastor. No, I knew you way back in the day. Are you kidding me? How are you a pastor? And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, man. It, it, it's inside of me now. John, you're still married? Y'all, he's inside of me. I don't know. It's not him, me who lives, but Christ that lives inside of me now. 
And what Paul says this week is, he says, and wait, now you wanna go back in and just because there's a little bit of grace and forgiveness, you wanna, you wanna dirty that water up again? Just because there's grace and forgiveness, you wanna dirty that thing up again? No, by no means. There's grace for that too. No, by no means. And you know what the beautiful part of this picture is? You know what happens here? Is that when people get a look at this, you know, kind of comes over here. And suddenly, what was inside of me now is inside of my friends. And my friends don't look like they used to because what was living inside of me has now made its home inside of them. And Paul says, by no means, don't you dare just because there's grace and there's forgiveness, don't you dare go back and muddy up the dirty water because you have something precious living inside of you. Something that is more valuable than you can ever imagine. Y'all, we are building. We are coming to what I believe are the two greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Romans chapter seven and Romans chapter eight. Some of the most powerful scripture and what many theologians would say, the whole entire Bible. And we're gonna get there just in a couple weeks, but Paul says this this morning. When it comes to sin, it's not that you won't sin, but when you sin, it's like this. You feel like a fish out of water now. Right? That tail's ridiculous. <laughs> but when you sin now, it feels like you're a fish out of water. Like it doesn't feel normal anymore. Like when I blow it and when I mess up and when I'm a, and I do my shenanigans and I'm an idiot, it feels like this. Like I just, I just got to get home. I just got to be back to where I was created to be. Because life outside of that, oh man, I can't breathe. I can't drink down sin anymore because it doesn't taste any good. And I just can't wait to get back home to where I belong. Maybe something for us to consider this morning. Would you have the courage this morning to have an honest conversation with yourself? Where have you gone and grabbed that old dead you and you are dragging it around would you have the courage this morning to be honest and to be vulnerable and to ask, God, where is it that I'm still dragging around this old, dead, smelly carcass? Because that one has been paid for and the next one has been paid for and the next one has been paid for. And now God has put something beautiful inside of you. By no means. Let's not return to a dead life, but let's experience life and life 